Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Amen. How's it going? I always like when I step up here for the first time, I get to see all your faces. Sometimes I sneak peeks during worship too. And uh, I love being here and worshiping the Lord with you guys, digging into his word together. And uh, have you enjoyed the Rooted series? I really have. I've loved it. We are taking eight weeks to start 2024 looking at this theme of Rooted, which we think will extend, the Lord has said, it's going to extend beyond just a simple sermon series. But it's a year to be rooted in Christ, rooted in who we are as a church uniquely, and uh, to stand strong. There might be some storms and some things swirling around this year. So let's get rooted and ready for it so it doesn't blow us over or take us off guard. It is an election year after all (laughs) in the 21st century. Those can be tumultuous. So this is week eight of eight. I'm the anchor leg, so to speak, so I better run fast. Better talk fast. I'm just kidding. Um, Talking about what it means to be rooted in Christ, rooted in our identity in him, you know, because we want to be like a tree, like this graphic shows, one that is sturdy and strong, healthy and growing and fruitful. And so let's start this morning as we have each week in this series. Would you stand and join me? We're going to read our passage together that is the theme passage for the whole series, Colossians 2, 6 through 10. And I know it's the last week, and maybe this was risky business, but I set up the slide to read it together a little different. I did like a chunk at a time, because I just thought it was so many words all in one. Maybe it's a little bigger, too. I hope it helps. If it throws you off, then I won't do it next week. Yeah, that was a joke. Okay. (laughs) Let's read it together. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. That worked pretty good. Okay, okay. Well, I'm not going to do it next week still because the series is over, but it worked good this week. So where have we been? The first six weeks of the series, I noticed when I was getting ready for last week, were sort of positive activities, things to do, right? Receive Jesus as Lord. Live your lives in him. Be rooted and built up. Strengthened in the faith. Overflow with thankfulness. These are all positive activities for us to do. And then last week we noted it was an apostolic warning, right? Like the Apostle Paul saying, hey, here's stuff to do, here's stuff to do. Now watch out for this. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies. And we noted how there are philosophies at work in our culture, guys. They're tricking And seducing, they're working to shift your allegiances if they can and render you useless or worse, steal, kill, and destroy you entirely. They promise much, but they offer nothing of substance. That's why they're called hollow philosophies. They're empty, vain, and they cannot bear any weight. 
Now, this week is quite the contrast to that. We're going to talk about being brought to fullness in Christ, which is the exact opposite of empty, hollow, or vain, isn't it? So here's the part of the passage that is for today. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and every authority. And so I've been thinking a lot this week about fullness, you guys. And I was thinking about it, just thinking about that word, you know, okay, so how am I going to try to like bring that to life for you? And so what I thought of was the recipe for Korean beef that Marilee and I got from our dear friends Jimmy and Chloe McKee, who will actually be here next week. I don't know if they're planning to talk about Korean beef, but I am today. Korean beef is a special dish. It's near and dear to my heart. The way we do it, it has these thin shreds of carrots in it just enough that I can say I ate my vegetables. But the thing I really love about Korean beef is that it's sweet and meaty and delicious. And I don't put that much rice with it. It's mostly just the meat that I'm after. And I just eat it and eat it and eat it. It's so stinking good. And then uh, after dinner, you're likely to find me laying on our carpeted living room floor in what I call beached whale mode. I am so full because I ate too much. All I can do is lay there and kind of moan like, oh, Marilee, I'm in beached whale mode. Yes, so this happens in the Menser home from time to time where he gets carried away with something that he really likes the flavor of. And then we all know (laughs) that he's going to be like, gliding off from the table and start rolling around on the floor. I'm in beached whale mode. So this, this, yes, this this happened. Beached whale mode. Confirmed by two or more witnesses. It is true. So (laughs) other than letting you in on what life's like in our house and making you laugh a little bit, it highlights a really great spiritual truth that (laughs) as full as my stomach gets on Korean beef, how much more spiritually full are you in Christ? Okay? Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life to the full. He wants you beached whale mode full in him, you guys. N.T. Wright is uh, one of my favorite commentators and scholars. He calls it a flood. He says, God intends to flood the lives of men and women and ultimately the whole creation with his love, power, and richness. That is our inheritance in Christ. And we can want nothing more from any other source. You're meant to be full. Flooded with the love and power of Jesus, you guys, with no room left, like me on the living room floor after Korean beef. No need for anything from any other source. And so, to me, that captures the essence of what we're talking about today in an interesting way. And so, we're going to take the uh, verses 9 and 10. It really has three parts, and we're going to take them in reverse order this morning. So that's why the little arrows on my slide go from bottom to top. Yeah, fancier. Thank you. Worked real hard on that. They overlap just so in a particular fashion that I like. So we're going to talk about Christ as head over every power and authority. Then we're going to back up to in Christ being brought to fullness and then back up again to the beginning 
where in Christ the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Does that make sense? Okay. <clears throat> if you like to go backwards, say backwards. Backwards. Yep, yep, good. Justin tried, thank you. <laughs> Two of us tried it, the rest of you are like, what are you talking about? Let's move on. So last week we're talking about these empty philosophies, right? These deceptive philosophies. And we talked about, remember, like, the Russian spies thing? But we kind of glossed over something about, like, being taken captive by force. And so I think Paul is answering the question in today's passage, and I want to address it a little bit this morning. And the question is, if there's other forces out there, it says those philosophies depend on the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Should we be worried? Can they take us captive by force or not? And the answer is not. <laughs> Spoiler alert, maybe you knew that. You guys read your Bibles. He's head over every power and authority answers that question. We don't have to be afraid of being taken captive by evil spiritual forces in this world because Jesus is all-powerful. He has all authority. No spiritual force can overcome those who are rooted in Christ. You believe that? No spiritual force can overcome you if you're rooted in Christ. Amen. Yeah. So <clears throat> the words power and authority in Greek, I'll slaughter them as I try to pronounce them here. RK means chief in order, time, place, or rank. Beginning, power, principality, rule. And exousia, maybe? It's force, capacity, authority jurisdiction, power, or strength. These are the things that Jesus is head over, our verse says. Jesus is supreme in every way. Think of it like this. He's ruler of rulers. He's powerful over all powers. He has unlimited jurisdiction. He's an immovable force. He has unlimited capacity, omnipotent strength. He's the beginning before all beginnings. Kind of deep. I'm really drawn to that one. The idea that he's chief in order, time, place, or rank, and that he's the beginning before all beginnings just sort of blew my mind this week. I think that's a deep spiritual truth. A verse that sort of speaks to that, it comes from Revelation. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. It's that same word being used there. Jesus is the beginning before beginnings. So we're in Colossians 2, right? This little passage is pretty brief. Verses 9 and 10 that we're in today, it's pretty brief. But it's like a hyperlink back to something earlier in the letter from chapter 1. Verses 15 through 20 are this beautiful poem about Jesus. And so I want to go back there and look at it. One, because I think it's so stinking cool. <laughs> and two, because that's what Paul's drawing our minds back to. And we haven't covered it in the series, so let's go back and take a look. Um, I'm not going to do it justice today, but I did spend more time on this poem in a Colossian series in 2022. So if you read the poem and you're like, oh man, I'd like to just sort of dig into that a little more. November 13th, 2022, YouTube, Facebook, podcast, the New Day website, you can find it there. Okay, <clears throat> so at that time in that series, I pulled apart the poem and showed it to you like this because it highlights the parallelism that's used in the poem 
which emphasizes certain things about Jesus. So I want to read it to you, and then we'll talk about um, what's being emphasized. It says, He's the image of God, the invisible one, firstborn over all creation. For in him everything was created, in the heavens and on the earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether rulers or authorities, everything has been created through him and to him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might be first. For in him all God's fullness was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile everything to him, making peace through the blood of his cross through him, whether things on the earth or things in the heavens. Really beautiful. There's a lot of repeated words, a lot of words you probably didn't recognize from Colossians chapter 2 that we're in right now. And then the arrows really highlight for you in the way that I structured it and showed it on the slide. It, it shows what's being said here, right? Like all the stuff on the left is sort of looking back at creation, the role of Jesus in creating the universe. And the right side is like the role of Jesus in reconciling and redeeming the universe. Isn't that cool? And so Christ is supreme. There's only one line that doesn't have a parallel in those top two blocks. And it's the one that says that in everything he might be first. Some of your Bibles will call, call it supremacy. Or I forget what the other word is. Preeminent. Preeminent. He's supreme. Jesus is the very image of God expressed to us. The beginner of all creation and the beginner of a new creation. Isn't that cool? He's firstborn over all created things, and he's the firstborn of the resurrection. The fullness of creation came to be in and through him and to him. And the fullness of reconciliation is in him, through him, and to him. In him all things hold together. That's in the bottom. That's that middle part that everything sort of funnels to from both the beginning and the end of the poem. In Jesus, all things hold together. He's really cool. <laughs> or in other words, I summed it up in this way. All of history begins in, hinges on, and will resolve in Jesus. Amen. So when Colossians 2 says, he's head over every power and authority, it says in Jesus, all other powers were created. They're derivative. They're less. He's before them and above them. Any power, any spiritual power that they hold was granted, not taken. Right? They have nothing he didn't allow them to hold for a time. And so with Christ in you, you don't have to worry about being taken captive by force, you guys. None can stand against the power of Jesus. And yet, we do live on a spiritual battlefield. In this age before Christ returns, there are powers at work. Ephesians 6 talks about this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
this point in history, there is a battle being waged. But as you wage war in the spirit, remember, Christ is head over all powers. And he's not only head by position, rank, and having created, but actually having won the war. And that's really important to remember, too. Colossians 2.15 says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, those same two words from verse 10, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He's above, he's before, he created position, authority, rank, yes, and on the battlefield, he's won. He's disarmed them and made a spectacle of every evil power, parading them through the streets as defeated foes. The forces of evil did their worst to Jesus, you guys. They actually killed the King of kings and Lord of lords. But the result was their own demise. Jesus disarmed them and made a spectacle of them. Their greatest weapon, your greatest foe, death, has been defeated. Come on. <laughs> Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> Thank you. That was a good one. <laughs> I don't often ask, but when I do, you come through. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> Got a few, like, I love a good quote. It's just, it's like, it's like um, Rayma Art tells a story, right, through a beautiful painting or drawing or whichever medium they're using. And, and words are like that for me, too. So I've got some really uh, uh, cool quotes that I like to try to bring these things to light in the message today. Peter Kreeft, we'll have a couple from him. And in one place he says, the cross is judo. The enemy's own power is used to defeat him. Satan's craftily orchestrated plot culminated in the death of God. But this very event, Satan's conclusion was God's premise. Satan's end was God's means. It saved the world. God won Satan's captives, us, Back to himself by freely dying in our place. Come on. The cross is a demonstration of Jesus taking evil's best shot and turning the tables. It could not keep him down. The resurrection leaves no doubt that Jesus Christ rules over all. And you know what Ephesians chapter 1 says? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you if you believe. Come on. He's head over every power and authority. Okay, we're going to take one step backwards in order of the verse, but forward in the message today. In Christ you have been brought to fullness. Fullness. So the Greek word for fullness does not mean beached whale mode, unfortunately, but we can think of it that way. It's something along the lines of pleru, and it means to cram full, level up, satisfy, finish, fulfill, or perfect. So guys, in Christ, you're crammed full. In Christ, you are leveled up. Come on. You're completely satisfied, finished, fulfilled, perfected in him. You are indeed a spiritual beached whale. <laughs> full beyond capacity. You have all you need in him. And so as I was thinking about where this shows up in other places in Scripture, what came to mind was Psalm 23. The first line, oh, there's your beach whale. I forgot to give it to you. There you are, full in Christ. Somebody bring in the bulldozer. 
the first line of Psalm 23. Let's get back on track. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. <clears throat> In Christ, you lack nothing, guys. But I bet I know what some of you are thinking. I don't feel that full. My life doesn't feel full. I do feel some lack. And so let's dig into the context of Psalm 23, verse 1 for a second and think about what fullness actually means. In what sense are you full in Christ? This psalm talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death and lacking nothing. It talks about the threat of evil that makes people shake in their boots with fear, but lacking nothing. It talks about being seated at a table surrounded by your enemies, where you lack nothing. Okay, maybe that's a little different than the way I generally think of fullness. It doesn't mean without bad circumstances. It doesn't mean you're totally safe with traveling mercies for every time you step in the car necessarily. It doesn't mean everyone you run into is a helpful friend who's going to encourage you in Christ. And then I backed up from verse 1 to the heading. It's a psalm of David. I started thinking about David's life, you guys. Let's track through it for a second. Just a couple of examples of what he experienced. As a young shepherd boy in the wilderness with shepherd's club in hand, I don't know if you guys know this, you know in Psalm 23 when it says, your rod and your staff comfort me? It's the image of a shepherd. And the crook is like to scoop up a sheep when they're in trouble and like lift them out. But the rod one is like a shepherd's club. It's what you beat back predators with. So there, imagine young David in the wilderness in a place when he's talking to Saul about fighting Goliath, which we'll get to in a minute. He says, I faced the lion and the bear when I'm protecting my sheep before, and I killed them. (laughs) I grabbed them by the hair. I took my shepherd's club, and I killed the lion and the bear. Was that safe? No. But with God on his side, the club was enough. He was full enough to face what came before him. Okay, then... As the total underdog, he faces a giant on the battlefield, Goliath. It's against all odds, but in the name of the Lord and full of faith, he had only five smooth stones and a sling. But with God and full of faith, these were enough. What about when he was anointed but not yet king, being tracked down by King Saul who hated his guts and saw him as a threat and wanted to kill him? He was always on the move. He was unable to be with his family or his dearest friend, Jonathan. He was hungry, hated, and hiding in caves. There's three H's for you. Sounds pretty great. Who wants to claim that promise? Nobody. The people who surrounded him were kind of a ragtag bunch. It says the people who gathered around David were in distress, in debt, or discontented. The Bible likes alliteration, too. That's three Ds. I'm not alone. So David has this ragtag bunch of 400 men against the king and his whole army. But with God on his side, it was enough. So fullness, lacking nothing, doesn't mean an easy life. doesn't mean safety or wealth necessarily. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to like you. What does it mean? With God on your side, brought to fullness in Christ, you have enough for the task before you. 
You have enough to tackle life's circumstances. You're full in Christ. And the fuller you are in this sense, the less the rest matters. Does that make sense? And actually, the challenging and impossible circumstances of your life will bring out the best in you and create a testimony to Jesus as you overcome. It will testify to others that God is good. Amen. Let's take Dave and Ruthie as an example. They were a a Christian couple, lived in the Seattle area. I don't know when, (laughs) but... Dave was a rugged outdoorsman. I read about him in a book. They're not personal friends. Don't let me lead you astray, guys. He's a rugged outdoorsman. He climbed a 10,000-foot mountain on every continent. So he's a go-getter, right? And, um, and then they had their first child, and um, the baby was born nearly blind, which sounds really tragic, you know? And it is. It's a serious situation. But strong faith, And being rooted in Christ actually made the situation a blessing. A year into it, Ruthie said, nothing has been as great as being a mother. That was her perspective. And Dave took his baby girl to the top of mountains in the Cascades, the Rockies, the Smokies. He takes her mountaineering all over the place. And a friend of the the family said, that baby is bringing out the best in them. She's a true gift from God. A good example that being brought to fullness in Christ means having eyes to see blessing where others only see blight, having faith where others only have fear. It's participating and partnering with God when other people give up. It's trusting God's power to come through one way or another, even if it's not the way that you expect. Let's put it another way. Eugene Peterson wrote, Christian spirituality means living in the mature wholeness of the gospel. It means taking all the elements of your life and experiencing them as an act of faith. All the elements, you know. Even disease, sickness, tragedy. If brought to God in faith, if full in Christ, it becomes a whole different story, doesn't it? Like David So there's no promise of perfect circumstances this side of eternity. Spoiler alert, guys. (laughs) I hope you weren't expecting that. But there is the promise of fullness in the midst of trial, peace in the middle of the storm, and hope in times of sorrow. And there is hope for an ultimate redemption when Jesus returns. If we have faith, we might just kill a lion a bear, or a giant on our way to that promised eternity with Jesus. Okay, let's take our third step to the beginning of our passage today. It's verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. This is a simple statement of what's called the doctrine of incarnation. That's not like an instant breakfast drink. Um, Incarnation means God became flesh. What we're talking about is that Jesus had two natures, the divine and the human nature, working together. 
Um, it's unique. And it's actually a shocking doctrine if you pause long enough to think about it. I don't know if you're like me and you've just taken it for granted and got used to it, but it's really an amazing thing. C.S. Lewis writes about it. He says, The incarnation was the biggest shock in history that the eternal God should have a beginning in time. That the maker of Mary's womb should be made in Mary's womb. That the first one became second. That the independent one became dependent. Not on the will of the flesh, but on the new Eve saying yes to the angel, where the old Eve said yes to the devil. So I want to spend a little bit of time on the incarnation this morning and just bring out two highlights. The first is that Jesus in the flesh is God with us. His name is Emmanuel, prophetically from the book of Isaiah. And it means God with us. And then the second thing is that Jesus' incarnation and then death and resurrection is the perfect redemption. So <clears throat> have you ever suffered or are you maybe suffering now some difficult circumstances? And what's more meaningful when you're in that place, when you're grieving or confused? A Christian cliche tossed in passing your way? Or someone who really understands? Someone who's been through it too and is willing to sit right in it with you and spend some time? I would say the second. I know you're all saying that too. <laughs> And I want to tell you a story that helps demonstrate the power of suffering with someone. Okay? It's a story from 150 years ago. His name is Father Damien. At his own request, Father Damien, a Roman Catholic priest, was assigned to a leper colony in Molokai, Hawaii in 1873. The colony didn't have a doctor or a priest to care for them. And his motivation for going was simple. He couldn't imagine people living out their last days in isolation with no one to care for them. With profound empathy, he did everything for the members of the colony. He bathed them, dressed festering ulcers, built coffins, dug graves, and held worship services. He served the colony for 12 years. Until one Sunday, everything changed. Father Damien stood in front of the congregation of lepers, opened his robes to show the first signs of leprosy on his own skin. And he began his sermon that day with the words, We lepers. And uh, I don't mean to elevate Father Damien. <laughs> he might be a Catholic saint. We don't really do that here. <laughs> but his ministry demonstrates the work and the heart of Jesus. Jesus became one of us. He experienced what we experience. And Jesus could start a sermon this morning with the words, we humans, because he was one. He is. <clears throat> Jesus, just to drive the point home, oh, I forgot the other picture of Father Damien. There he is when he's starting to suffer uh, the effects of leprosy. Jesus was pushed out of a birth canal, you guys. He cried. He was hungry, thirsty. He got tired. He probably got splinters in his fingers while doing carpentry work. He was misunderstood. 
His own people rejected him. His cousin was beheaded. His closest friends betrayed and disowned him. He was falsely accused and convicted, though innocent, beaten, mocked, crucified, and killed. And even today, people mock and reject him all the time. People misrepresent him. And worst of all, they use his name and his church for personal gain. It's disgusting. He's suffered all those things. He's experienced those things. We humans. God with us. He's not far off or disconnected from your pain. He's not a far off God. That's so important. He's with you in it as one who understands. Side note, this isn't in my notes. This is bonus material here. Last week I mentioned that <laughs> last week I mentioned that I like to watch YouTube videos of like debates with atheists and Christian um, philosophers or apologists. And you know what? The problem of pain and suffering is a key and important question. And you know what? The atheist doesn't have any comfort. The atheist has no comfort because if they're true to their worldview, they believe you exist because of only chance. And when you die, you're gone. And so when you suffer, oh well, that just happens. Jesus is an answer to suffering. may not be the particular answer you were hoping for, but it is God's answer, and it is deeply meaningful. Right? It's not a far-off cliche or some esoteric spiritual truth. It's God in the flesh dying on a cross. Come on. Right? What does the atheist have to offer you? Sorry, bad roll of the dice for you. <laughs> you know, what do some of the Eastern religions have to offer you? Well, you know, try to separate yourself from it. Maybe it'll be better next time on reincarnation. That's not hopeful, and that's not helpful. But Jesus is full of hope, full of help, and he's present. Come on. Okay, and the, the similarities to Father Damien and Jesus end because unlike Father Damien, disease and death hold no power over Jesus. Right? He can join us in our suffering like Father Damien, but unlike him, rise above it through resurrection. He's the firstborn of the resurrection like we read in the poem. If you make him Savior and Lord, you too will rise above disease and death. Eternal life is yours in Christ. No more tears, pain, or suffering. That's the promise to come in Jesus. All will be redeemed forever. And until that day, you have a friend and a Savior who understands firsthand. Amen. So uh, God with us, incarnation. It's a big deal. A second way it's a big deal is it is the perfect redemption, you guys. Who could have scripted this? When I go to movies, which isn't all that often, I guess, but when I go to a movie, here's the kind of movie plot that I like, okay? It is surprising, but resolves things. Those really artsy ones that have no resolution are not for me. <laughs> but I like the twist, and then I like a resolution. I like it when the good guys win and the bad guys lose in the end, no matter what it takes to get there. 
Often the hero in my favorite movies is an underdog. He has he or she has some unrealized gift or power that shows up in the end right when you need it and saves the day. I especially like the ones that are a little deep and intricate in the storyline, you know, where you're the movie ends and you're like, whoa, that was deep, and you go home and you're still thinking about it. You're caught up in the story. Well, guess what? My favorite movie, the plot line is based on Jesus, actually. Look at what he did. A nobody from Nazareth, the total underdog who was born in a barn, the son of a carpenter and a teenage girl, exiled at a young age, he had to go to Egypt because Herod was trying to kill him. A ragtag group surrounds him as he calls fishermen, zealots, tax collectors to be his disciples. He starts to show his power, signs and wonders, healings and teaching, and the stakes are raised. The establishment starts pushing back and making their plans and their plots against him. And the skirmishes are building up to a final battle in Jerusalem. It's not only the religious powers, but also military, Roman powers that are against him. And what will he do? How will the story end? Is he going to beat them? Well, not exactly. He does the unexpected. He goes peacefully into their custody. He barely says a word in his defense. He lets them treat him like a common criminal. He lets them kill him on a Roman cross. And what a lame ending that would be if that was the end. But thankfully, it's not. Because he rose from the dead and the tomb is empty. Come on. (laughs) It is an unexpected, surprising, and supremely triumphant ending to a story. A perfect redemption. And it isn't even over yet. He's going to return, and who knows what that's going to look like. It's going to be greater still. He will surprise us again with glory. Okay, so uh, I want to read to you sort of an extended quote from Peter Kreef. He, He puts this into words in a really cool way. Even the devil did not expect this folly, that God should step right into Satan's trap, the jaws of death on the cross that he should give Satan the opportunity to cherish forever in dark, satanic glee the terrible words from God to God. Why hast thou forsaken me? That God should take alienation away from man by inserting alienation into the very heart of God. That he should conquer evil by allowing the introduction of death into the life of God that he should destroy the power of evil by allowing it to destroy him. What a twist. What a climax to the plot of history. What a perfect, surprising, and triumphant redemption we have in Jesus. He's the only one who could achieve such a redemption for us. And he has. He's done it. It is finished, he said on the cross. And so the rest is up to you guys. And so I want to go back through the eight weeks of our series asking you a question from each one. Will you receive Christ Jesus as Lord? Will you continue to live in him? 
Will you be well rooted and built up in him? Will you be strengthened in the faith as you were taught? Will you overflow with thankfulness? Will you see to it that no one takes you captive? Will you be brought to fullness in Christ? I pray that you will. And actually, I want to pray into this all together. Would you stand with me? I'm going to put up on the slides a prayer, and I'd like to just pray it all together to wrap up today and to wrap up our Rooted series. I think Kathy sent me this. Thank you, Kathy. This is an awesome prayer. All right, let's pray this together. O Christ, the brightness of God's glory and express image of his person, whom death could not conquer, nor the tomb imprison, as you have shared our mortal frailty in the flesh. Help us to share your immortal triumph in the spirit. Let no shadow of the grave frighten us, and no fear of darkness turn our hearts from you. Reveal yourself to us as the first and the last, the living one, our immortal Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen.